Hi there. Before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. I encourage you to speak up, spread the word, and please take care. Now on to the conversation. Hey, I think we are good to go. Okay. I'm sorry. Do you see me well? Do you hear me and all that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can okay. see you and Wonderful. hear you perfectly. Thomas, thank you so much for being a lifesaver this morning and for being so accommodating with this really strange mix up that I had this morning. It's okay, buddy. No <laughs> worries. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's a real pleasure to get to talk to you today. So, do you want to start at the beginning? Can we start talking about how you got into writing? Sure, whatever you want, and you just, uh, you know, shoot, and I'll answer. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So, do you recall a time when you were younger when you first became interested in writing? Um, my dad is a big reader, huge. Um, uh, got me started on classics when I was probably in middle school. I remember reading, you know, Steinbeck, the famous little Steinbeck of Mice and Men, uh, a lot of Mark Twain. Um, those kind of stories, but I wasn't hooked until kind of 10 years later on my own when I lived in New York City. And I remember particularly a summer when I read two novels back to back that really had a profound influence on me and really kind of shook me up in a way that uh, literature never really or stories, a written word really never shook me up like that before. And that was uh, um, two novels. One was Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce. Mm -hmm. And uh, of uh, the moon and sixpence of moon and sixpence the moon and sixpence by uh, Somerset Mom. So I wrote those, read those back to back, and they really shook me up. And then I kind of from there took it, you know, and started researching. One thing led to another. Uh, this writer to that writer. I kind of formed my tastes, and so really uh, a lot of it was more self interest, self taught, um, just just kind of. Uh, you know, kind of focused from American writers to more international poets, writers. Uh, a few years ago, probably not a few years ago, probably late 90s, early 2000s, I discovered writers like Bolaño, Roberto Bolaño. I discovered writers like W.G. Sebald, um, J.M. Kutzi. And these these writers really also had a, a, a profound effect because as I was aging and getting older, uh, their work spoke to me. Maybe the their work wouldn't have spoke, you know, spoken to me earlier. But at that time, and I said, "Wow, they're, um, you know, with, with various forms and and different uh, uh, stories from all over the world." It just, you know, it it definitely kind of piqued my interest mm -hmm. in trying to capture the human condition in in a story in in written words. And so, uh, yeah. Do you think those inspirations early on taught you how to look for the humanity or what was specifically the thing that drew you in? Or, I mean, obviously, when you're younger, you can't really identify those things. It's more like, oh, I'm going by feel. These are the things that are drawing me in. But looking back on it, is there something specifically that you think 
stood out in in those works yeah i mean as, as the more you read just like anything else you become you look at you look at craft you look at language you look at what uh um uh, kind of there is a rhythm to specific writers and music to the words and the way they uh how it lays on a page um uh and i think i would look for different things with different writers but i think the common thread would be kind of um something that was um maybe off the beaten path if it was surreal if it was mystery the sense of mystery the sense of things not being completed mm -hmm. things not being formulaic um i think that's the kind of writing i i and the kind of uh glimpse into um human character and human behavior that i love is because things are not life is complicated it's too too complicated for kind of happy endings kind of <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. In some way. uh and i i think that's the that's the type of work that appeals to me that is kind of it's challenging it's it's not easy to swallow it's not maybe quote unquote popular <laughs> um so you know what i mean mainstream or whatever yeah so yeah yeah Oh, wonderful. Do you remember your early writings? Do you remember what kind of stuff you were writing back then? Yeah, I, I mean, I've been involved in the theater uh, for many years. And I think, um, you know, again, I I kind of started gravitating toward the absurd a little bit. Uh, Samuel Beckett, uh, Ionesco, these type of writers. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, um, they spoke to me more than a Tennessee Williams or an Arthur Miller. Not that Tennessee Williams and Arthur Miller aren't amazing writers, uh, but that work, I know there's something about the, the absurdity kind of, uh, mm -hmm. the dream like aspects, the, I hate to use this word because it's overused a lot, but almost like the existential aspects of things. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, sure. You know, our place in the, not only in this, on this planet, but in the universe and how we're just trying to figure shit out man yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah and i love that because i as a student of theater myself just looking at specifically unesco i think when i read rhinoceros that was the best thing that ever happened to me because i realized that we don't have to we don't have to deliver reality to expose reality in, in a way and that was the play that really did it for me when I was, when I was going to school where I, I said to myself, you, there's gotta be more than one way to do this because I did grow tired of those shows. Like, you know, they're always doing, you know, cat on a hot tin roof. They're always doing this or that. And right. there's a, a line, not a line, maybe a quote from UNESCO that always sticks out now as my mantra, which is the theater is a place where you can imagine all kinds of things. And I'm paraphrasing of course, but it is the place where people dare the least. Ah. Uh. Beautiful. And and the, just that Wonderful. ending phrase is like, yeah, I mean, that's the way to go about it. Why can't you have a giraffe on stage? Why can't you have, you know, how can you depict cancer on stage in, in a visual way, in a dreamlike way, rather than, oh, this person is is ill. It, it just seems like it's an open door, but people rarely choose to go in it. So I applaud you for that because that just immediately like warms my heart <laughs> oh, thank you no no absolutely what you beautiful that was what you said was wonderful and it's so true that reality i think sometimes we get caught in traps of you know again formula and what reality is and naturalism and 
I don't know, to me, to go to the theater and to see a living room with a couch and, you know, people just kind of milling about in the, and that kind of theater just doesn't speak to me. I think <laughs> it would be much more imaginative and much more risk taking. Sure. And, and, and so going back to also poetry was uh, even today when I'm writing prose, which I focus on mainly hmm. poetry, always kind of there again, the things that we talk about, the sense of the mystery of things, how to capture a moment mm -hmm. with so few words yeah and and uh and it's almost it's it's a little murky and you got to find your way a little bit and mm -hmm. i don't know that appeals to me uh greatly and yeah. i try to capture that in my prose as well oh that's um, lovely yeah 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 it appears like you're comfortable in the gray, which is a place where not a lot of people like to be. You know, we we're fans of absolutism right now where either you're right or wrong and that's it. But uh, the world that we live in, a lot of the conflicts that we deal with now, it, they're almost strictly in the gray. <laughs> you know, right. and yeah, absolutely. I think it's a blessing and a curse, but in your theater journey, has it always been a part of your life or did you come into that later in life? Um, I, I consider myself a late bloomer. I, and, and also to writing serious writing too. Uh, and, you know, for the past 15 years, I've been focused mainly on fiction and, and writing, uh, you know, uh, novels, novel length, novella length that works. Um, but theater has always been a, um, my language, you know, and I came in into it in a time when I was, uh, I didn't have a direction in life, which was in my early twenties where. It was, you know, uh, oh, I should have started in high school or earlier. And I didn't. I kind of in college, I was flailing. I was, I didn't know what to do, where to go. And I discovered theater and uh, it kind of, it was a portal for me into music, into opera, into literature, into critical uh, studies. It, it kind of opened up, you know, everything to me. And, um, and I very much, like you said, theater can be a beautiful visual medium mm -hmm. as opposed to just words, words, words. Theater can also capture. And I think images, film, like, you know, getting into film, serious film as yeah. well. Like the Bunuels, the Tarkovskys, the Ingmar Bergmans. Also, um, you know, when you, you compare that to like what Hollywood is now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you're like thinking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like what happened? Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, maybe simplicity is, is the most wonderful not and non-transparent thing, um, but simplicity, sometimes that's the key to try to keep it as simple. But whatever it is in that moment, I, I'm very much driven by images, I think. Images are very powerful. Mm. So that's kind of your way into the work, like when you're starting to write something that draws you in first or you feel like an image appears to you or you find an image and then you have to extrapolate on that or how does the process work when you're writing? Um, yeah, the, the beginnings are everything I think. And it could, uh, I think it could be an, an image of a person. It could be a moment. It could be a word. It could be a phrase, um, anything that kind of ignites. And then it's a, it's a figuring out process, especially that beginning mm -hmm. in finding the music. I think for me, it's, uh, there's a sensitivity to the music of how something starts mm -hmm. because that will then affect, you know, trying to stay consistent throughout to the very end. And so playing around with that, like my, my novel that I published two years ago, an expectation of plenty, 
Um, here, let me. I have it right here. I'm plugging. I'm plugging, my friend. There you go. Um, so, an expectation of plenty. Um, this takes place in. Uh, this takes place in um, Lisbon. And what happened was, I went to a park in Lisbon. It's called the Jardim de Estrela, and I would go there every day, and you know, have my coffee or sit in a cafe, outdoor cafe, or just sit and watch. And there was a moment where I was sitting and watching one day, like halfway in my my, my visit, and there was a, a man, well dressed, uh, you know. And you know, sometimes in passing, you just don't, you know, you you see a person and they, you know, actually kind of pass through in your life. But this man, I, I kind of observed for a little bit, and he was mumbling to himself, mm. and he would look at things like trees and, you know. Uh, birds and he would and then he would smoke very methodically and he was the kind of inspiration for my character my main character that went through various you know manifestations early on that turned out to be a homeless man but this man that i was seeing was not homeless mm. but i took kind of that initial image and made him into uh this homeless man who lost his memory in lisbon and that kind of, you know, and and the beautiful thing about it is I know some folks as writers, they kind of plot, they outline. I don't. Mm. I don't. I kind of trust my instincts and yeah. go, uh, yeah, that way. So tell me a bit about how your novel, An Expectation of Plenty, you've kind of shared the beginning, but how long was that process to to actually go from beginning to end to yes, I got the idea to now I have a finished product that I'm looking to promote and publish and take care of. How long does that take for you or did it take? You know, that, that was my second attempt. Um, I had, a, I wrote another novel that took years to kind of write and And then I went to expectation of plenty and that took about two, three years mm. of writing and, uh, um, to kind of an idea to completion and um that first novel that i wrote uh was my apprenticeship mm. this this one expectation of plenty i had more confidence in myself as a writer i had more sense of trusting my gut as a writer um i kind of discovered a, a, like a form for myself in terms of you know um like chapters, I, I wouldn't spend too much time, you know, you kind of pick up on things uh, for myself, like maybe not, d don't go heavy on the descriptions, focus on other aspects of story. Um, and it, it kind of led me to, how should I say, again, the novel, like halfway through that writing of that novel, I was in Budapest at the time, is writing an expectation of plenty. It's like about a year, year and a half into the process. And then I made a huge discovery halfway through the novel that it was because I was in Budapest, you know, I would pass this kind of, uh, uh, this memorial, this Holocaust memorial. Then mm. that kind of triggered an idea that was not there at the beginning when I was writing this, the first year, year and a half. And then, wow, something happened and an idea and a discovery was made. Yeah. And that kind of definitely affected the entire rest of the story and going back in the rewrites and the revisions and all that, yeah. I had to kind of layer it in and piece it together like that. So I think, you know, the initial writing of something is, it might not be my favorite thing to do that first draft. It's in the kind of the working on it, the, 
the shaving of it, the those choices and revision, that that part of the process, I think, I really, really love. Mm. So, yeah. So was there specifically something like a ritual or habit that you created that helped you get out of your head from that first apprenticeship of writing a novel to your second effort? Were there some things that you acquired that you, that you said specifically, I have to do it this way now that you didn't have before? These are great questions. Sir, this is really, I love it. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm selfishly mining everyone else's efforts so that I can, well, uh, I, I can learn well, as I much as it. possible. No, beautiful. No, beautiful questions. Um, I think I, you know, um, yeah. Okay. It's interesting how th I, I try to create a rhythm in my life to write, you know, you ask maybe other writers and I've heard other writers say, okay, I get up in the morning from four to eight or whatever. And this is, I do that. I need to get out of the house to write. And usually my thing is a cafe and that cafe has to have the perfect kind of, can't be too light. You know, some, you know, barista slamming things and people <laughs> like if, if two yeah. folks sit next to me and are engaged in a conversation, yeah, uh, it's hard for, I, I'm too distracted easily. So it has to be kind of the place where, I go to and I find because it's like going to the office. Mm -hmm. And for me, writing, I hate to say it, it's not about inspiration because let me tell you, halfway in when you're doubting everything and should I throw this out? Should I keep it? It's 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 um it's a very tricky thing and it's uh you gotta find the rhythm to it. So if I write for two months and all of a sudden life gets in the way and um a month goes by or three weeks go by and this rhythm is just broken man, that's hard for me. Mm -hmm. The reason I say is because this last novel, not this one, I've, I just completed another novel oh, wow. that I'm trying to uh, um, get published right now. And it's uh, something that it's, you know, I'm, I'm sending to agents, small publishers, so forth and so on. And this one, this, this newest one, I wrote longhand, you mm -hmm. know, in a all skin. And, and I never did that before, but uh, unbelievably, that tactile organic process of not doing it initially on the laptop but doing on on parchment and you know with a a pen a fountain pen mm -hmm. i loved it and yeah. it came out it flowed out it flowed out in a way that it in it in the timing of it, it you know so before my first novel took five years to write an expectation of plenty took three years to write this last one Took about a year and a half. Oh. Not that I'm saying that, oh, I'm getting faster and I'm getting, no, it just, uh, maybe it, it requires, you know, as I'm evolving in, yeah. in this crowd. And it seems like the, the big battle for a lot of us is like self-censorship, right? You, you sit there and you stew on something for like three days when you could have gotten it out in one. And so right. I think that's kind of the thing that, that seems to be happening with you where it just, it's getting leaner. The process is, is less burdensome on like, oh, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be perfect as it comes out no, the first absolutely. time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of the, uh, like anything, you know, uh, I've, I would hope that I've gotten to be a very stronger writer in the past 15 years because I spent countless hours on it. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of hours on writing. And, you know, there's some folks who say, you know, I can write eight hours a day. That's not me. So if mm -hmm. someone says, oh, this guy can write eight hours a day and churn out, I don't know, 3,000 words a day. Well, I can't do that. Yeah. I, I'm okay with it. two hours for me. is That's a lot of time for me to spend yeah. severely, heavily concentrated. Right. And 
I'm, I'm spent after that. And that's my thing. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Not, not to digress too much or anything, but I'm curious, you seem to have gone to a variety of different places. You've, you've been out of the U S and you've had this opportunity to experience life from other points of view, uh, seeing other cultures and things like that. Um, what leads you to, to be able to do that? If I may ask just vacations and that sort of thing. Well, it I, just being a citizen of the world and, um, and being open to experiences, knowledge, um, living and, 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 uh, getting out of a comfort zone. So when you go to Portugal, when you go to, uh, Hungary, when you go to Spain, it is not the U S it's not the USA. It's, it's a different part of the world. Yes. It's Western culture, but different languages are like, so when I was in Portugal, you know, people did speak English, but I didn't serve. So I would have to learn how to do the speak and communicate in Portuguese. Good morning. You know, thank you. Obrigado. How to, you know, try to communicate um, in this, in this other language, but also using your body and your expression and, and, and connecting to someone who uh, doesn't speak your language um, and still getting a smile from them. And they, they make you smile. And <laughs> I think these are, you know, connections yeah. um, and uh, discoveries and feeling that you, you know, wow, I haven't actually spoken to someone and really truly communicated to someone in days because I'm in this new world. Yeah. And, that's a very cool place to be because it's raw, uh-huh. you know, in some ways. Yeah, it's comfortable. You're, you know, you're, it's not like you're on the street and, you know, trying to survive that way. No, but it is raw in a way that you're kind of sensor, sensorially, yeah. you're, you're really alive. Yeah. You're really like, what, what's next almost? <laughs> right. There's a true yeah. like vulnerability where the basic thing that you have to back yourself up or defend yourself with, which is your language, is just kind of stripped away and, and you're kind of, at the mercy of, of other things, it seems, or the unknown, there's more uncertainty, but you mentioned in your bio, uh, that you, you have Persian roots and I'm curious how that plays into the way that you write. And of course, where you come from and where your family comes from, how that influences the way that you see the world and, uh, and what it does to your writing. Uh, wow. Uh, I think it's everything. Late, lately, I've noticed as I'm, uh, you know, I've, with what's happened in the world in the past couple of years, my interactions with people in general, I think things are cultural. I think things we don't maybe think about it. Yes, I'm American. Yes, I've lived in this country for many years. But I think the, the culture, the Persian culture, it is a great civilization, great writers, astronomers, thinkers. It was a vast empire many years ago. I think culturally there's something to be said for who we are today, even though it might not be so obvious. Um, my last book that I just wrote, the one I, I was talking about, it's tentatively titled The Any Dead, and it's about one of um, Iran's greatest writers. His name is Sadegh Hedayat. And this way, he was like kind of the father of modernism in, in Persian letters. And he's one of the famous writers. He wrote a, a novel, very famous novella called the, um, uh, the Blind Owl. 
And so I looked at this figure and this man, he had a very difficult life. He suffered from hallucinations, probably would be diagnosed as a schizophrenic. Um, and I knew of this man, but now, you know, again, the inspiration of knowing about this man and I did some research and read more and had, had his love for Persian, Persian mythology and ancient history and his thoughts about the ancient dead and Alexander the Great and the Arabian invasion of Iran and all these things I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I did not know. Mm -hmm. And so reading about this man opened up other worlds of Persian mythology, folklore, music, mm -hmm. this, Cyrus, the, the great book like the Shahnameh, which is this huge book about Persian mythology that spans, spans centuries. I didn't really ever read like word for word, but doing my research on this, I had to read. And all the characters that this character was influenced by this and that, and that's, it opened up new vistas for me about where I'm from, about who I am. Um, and my, my um, how should I say, my similarities to this writer who I fictionalized, but based in truth and some truths and the rest imagination, uh, the man was tortured. He was a tortured soul. Um, he tried to kill himself, and I captured that first time he tried to, in that period in 1920s Paris, late 1920s Paris. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of went back and forth to Iran, and then later, after he became a figure, a, a well-known figure, he couldn't take anymore, and he succeeded in, mm -hmm. you know, committing suicide and dying. But wow. he is a, a, a very, very revered figure. So I think culture, where a person's from, um, is everything everything mm -hmm. and those roots and that ancestry i think are crucial to what makes you you yeah yeah that's wonderfully put and uh i want a great reminder for me as i constantly look outside of myself to see who i am <laughs> as a as a mexican in the cowboy state you know it's uh there's some history here but i definitely have to reach out and keep looking. But it, it's a good lesson for all of us here in this country because we, we are a nation of immigrants and different cultures, and we have to look further than what we have in front of us. We have to look beyond that, and then we'll know ourselves a little bit more. I got Absolutely. just a couple more questions um, sure. to be respectful of your time, but I'm curious if you feel like you have a community, a creative community that supports your playwriting or creative writing. Uh, have you had much success doing that? Or what are some things that are beneficial in having a community like that? Yeah, it's, I think it's interesting. Um, in theater, you can't do theater alone. That would be a very strange process. Uh, um, you need a tribe, right? You need those collaborators. You need a community. And I've had that. I've had that throughout my life and that sense of collaboration. Writing can be a very opposite polar opposite experience where you are alone most of the time in your head most of the time um i think the community comes out where sometimes as writers and i could see myself with that i have that part of me as a theater guy where i'm working with 30 people 40 people 50 people and that seems that could be as i get older wow this sound this seems is very complicated <laughs> you know there are 50 egos 50 personalities you know yeah. what i mean it could be like whoa as a writer, it, you can get into this thing where, and I, I do have this, I do have this belief that 
you know, a lot of folks are on Twitter, this, that, they're out there, they're pushing it, they're getting out there, and it's important. I'm not so good at that aspect of the writer and trying to find a community. I've been in the Bay Area now for two years. I love it here. Um, coming out of COVID also, the reality of, I need to get my ass out there. And it's mm -hmm. true. And this mm -hmm. is a beautiful way to to do that, like what we're doing right now. And I think it is important to go to readings, to meet new folks, to get your work out there. And that takes a certain mentality and and drive, I think, and and discipline. Like, okay, I've done all the work here, right? It's all in here, mm -hmm. but you gotta, you know, and I, I need to be better at that. Um, how to go about it? Uh, it? It could be, I don't know, it could be a little disheartening sometimes when, you know, you have a work that you put so many hours in and so much of your time and you believe in it so strongly and you send it out to agents, you know, the thing we do, right? And you don't hear anything or you get rejection upon rejection. You're like, not that I'm at a place where you're like, oh my gosh, am I any good? No, it's more like, man, how do I get my work to connect to another? You see, you one has a circle of friends, your beta readers, your people. I, I, I appreciate that. However, I think I'm at a point in my life where I want a stranger in the Philippines or in Mexico or in Canada to pick up a book of mine. They don't know me. They have no idea who I am. And they judge it solely on what's in these pages. Mm -hmm. And I think as a writer, I'm hoping for, like all writers and artists, that that's where the work really speaks. It's not like the little community people who, they know me. And I think when they read, they have a picture of who I am and my personality and my persona very much in the books. And I, I get that. Yeah. But I think sometimes in a strange way, that colors the power and effectiveness of a work. You understand what I'm saying yeah, as opposed yeah. to someone who doesn't know you, who sees you in a bookstore and like pulls it out and, you know, looks and like, hmm, okay. And they read yeah. it. And um, so I think, yeah, That's I hope true. that answered your question yeah, a little abs bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. it raises the question of, is the work as good as you think it is? Because it's, it's not being propped up by your personality or who you are. It, it's a standalone thing that can travel, that can, that can share a bit of humanity across language and everything. And I think that's really interesting about you being a very, very good citizen of the world. You're thinking outside of your, your own windows. You're looking beyond the, I, I think you're looking to, to make a human connection beyond your language, which is, which is a, a wonderful thing beyond culture. Yeah. So where's the universality of that? Where, like getting to that. I think that's, very much something that I appreciate. I hadn't realized just how well you described that. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And lastly, I, I'm curious, you, you kind of touched on this and this may be redundant, but I'm curious of your definition of success, even though you just mentioned this beautiful uh, you know, explanation just now, on a daily basis, what is success as a writer to you on a day-to-day? -day? You know, uh, there are many folks that can that understand how tough it is to get your work out in the world number one and for folks to recognize it pay attention to it shockingly maybe even get awarded for it and 
we all would say, yes, that's, that's what we aspire. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's a great thing. It's like winning the lottery in some ways, maybe there's that element of luck, I think to it. And there's that element of hard work. And at this point in my process and my journey, people are not breaking down the door to get to, to read my work. They're not. However, through it all, all the ups and downs, the rejections, this, sometimes when you send out, like right now, I've sent out my latest book to probably, I don't know, a hundred, hundred houses and agents, most because they're probably overwhelmed or whatever's going on, they don't even respond. They don't even give you a yes or no. You, they, you hear like, oh, if you don't hear back from us for six weeks, consider a pass. To me, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Because it's like you're sending your baby out to the yeah. world and the yeah. baby has been abandoned on the slopes of, you know, wherever, you know. <laughs> um, so I guess what it, you know, I to answer your question, I do at the end of my work, I know I put in the time, the the focus, the tenacity that you must have, I think, in, in this craft and in this line of work. And I want to be able to sell, say to myself, my idea of success is actually saying hey tom thomas job well done and that's it Mm. honestly and i mean that job well done Mm -hmm. it's beautiful beautiful lastly what is your hope for tomorrow what are you hopeful for personally connection connecting to another artists, um, connecting to a stranger, connecting to a moment, um, some other person connecting to my work. Some of the most beautiful moments I would be in a bookstore. I'd pull a book of poems off the shelf and I would go like this, literally open a book to a poem and I would read that poem and it would hit me like a sledgehammer, man. And not necessarily does it mean that I have to buy that book or read that poet's work, but in that moment, that poem like shook me to my core. Hmm. That's good enough. <laughs> that's good enough. Yeah. In that one minute quiet moment, that is, that's, I think that's magical. And that's connection. So that's what I hope for. It's amazing. And a good note to end on, don't you think? I think so. <laughs> I think so. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been an absolute blast. And I want to thank you again for your, your openness, for reminding us that we need to be citizens of the world, that we need to get out and, and see what's out there and be, be looking back to our cultures for guidance and inspiration every now and then, but of course, for the work that you're doing and your wonderful novel and congrats on that, by the way, I'll make sure that the link to it is in the episode description so that people can check that out. But, uh, for the time being, I'll give you your Sunday back. Thank you so much, Thomas. Absolutely. So, so Jaime, I am saying your name correctly, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you for your time. This has been absolutely wonderful. And, what a great, what a great discussion and great questions. And thank you for sharing your morning with me, sir. Oh, I appreciate it. Hope we can catch up soon. So let me know when the other one comes out. Okay. You got it, buddy. <laughs> All right. 
Thanks, Thomas. Take care. Peace. Peace. Hey there. Before I go, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying Arts Calling, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to these episodes. Every little bit helps to bring awareness about these wonderful artists that we're featuring on this podcast. And don't forget to say hi. I'm over on Twitter at Cruzfolio, and I would love to hear from you, love to know what you're working on, and I wish you the best in life and craft. Make art, make haste, and much love. Thank you.